Again, welcome everybody to another episode of the Rugby Scoop Podcast. Um, we are live as always. Uh, unfortunately, Vuyo might not be able to join us today, but he said you'll see how he feels. He's a wee bit under the weather. Uh, Hugh, I know you're not under the weather, but it's probably still cold in the UK. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very cold, but nice and sunny at least. I'm doing very well, mate. I'm being very careful not to enter this podcast from the side because I know that upsets you. Um, but I'm sure that Jade and Vuyo, if Vuyo joins us, we'll have half an eye on Manchester United and see how they get on in the big Manchester derby today. So I hope they're not feeling too scared either. <laughs> well, last time Man United played and we were on the pod, uh, I think Man United won. So, Jade? Um, I hope we have all your attention and divided attention this Sunday. Yeah, Scoop. <laughs> I don't think I'm going <laughs> to have hopes of Man United, guys. Come on, that's like an Aussie team having hopes of winning Super Rugby, but yeah. <laughs> uh, how are things over there in Bloemfontein? All good, all good, Scoop. Better than Cape Town. Apparently in Cape Town they're upset because the storm was lost and the Crusaders lost yesterday. So, yeah, but Bloemfontein is better than Cape Town at the moment. <laughs> well, well, lots of chirps from you uh, from the side. Guys, if you're wondering what the side shows or the side comments are coming from, I uh, posted a thread uh, during the week uh, showing some uh, detail around the breakdown uh, for the Irish team. Um, yeah, something maybe... We, which will become in handy for the English uh, this coming weekend. But anyway, not wasting any time, guys. There's plenty to talk about. There's lots of news uh, going around um, this week. I mean, for the first time, I don't know in how long, but we have an all-European semi-final in LA for the Sevens. Can you believe it? All-European semi-final in uh, LA for the Sevens this uh, Sunday. We had Super Rugby. We have URC. We'll start off with Super Rugby and then uh, move on to URC. Um, Jade, Super Round this weekend uh, in Melbourne. Disappointing attendance, but the rugby on the field, amazing. Great spectacle. Talk to me. Yeah, Scoop, look, let's, let's not beat around the bush. I mean... If you were neutral, changing the channel, and I mean, you weren't into Super Rugby and you saw that attendance in Melbourne, I mean, you wouldn't actually be, you know, drawn to, to watch the game. I mean, I swapped, I swapped just now when the Chiefs finished playing the Brumbies and I changed to the NRL. I think it was the Broncos and the um, Roosters played. And they had the Super Weekend in Las Vegas, completely different, you know, set piece. So, really, Super Rugby. As and administrators need to make some big decisions when it comes to you know getting their market because they really slipping behind the NRL at the moment. Um, it's not that it, com- it matters to South Africans, but I mean obviously to the competition itself. You know, a lot of uh, competition between um, Super Rugby and NRL down under. But for the rugby, wow, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. We had five really really good games uh, one was a little bit of a blowout i mean the big one i think it was a little bit of a blowout but very very good games i mean the fixture of the weekend was moana pacifica against the drua um i can start there what a game entertaining at everything tries you know 19 meter tries it had records everything comebacks everything and after the game those guys shook each other's hands like brothers you know um, well done to both of those teams. I mean, we spoke last week about the Moana Pacifica. I mean, what a team they are this year. It just shows you that, you know, you can have a setup and you can have players, but if you don't have the right structure and the right setup, the players won't jowl and they won't um, benefit from that. And I mean, just look at Stephen Jones and Tana Umanga, Tom Coventry this season, how, what the difference they've done in the Moana Pacifica. 
they've got more structure, they look much better, they've got a plan, and they're playing good foot, uh, rugby. The Drua, I mean, they're still doing what the Drua do, but, uh, you know, they really caught the eye of the weekend was more on the Pacific. Um, the way they, it was when they went down to 13 men, they hung on. Um, at the end, they, they snuck, they got a big victory. Um, yeah, that was actually the fixture for me, Scoop. I don't know if you have anything else to add on that fixture. <coughs> No, no, I think uh, you've covered it pretty much all within that particular game because the thing is it was uh, an up-and-down game in terms of uh, Moana leading and then Fijian Drua leading and then Moana taking the lead back. The tries, I mean, that that goes without say. The amount of skill level, the amount, the ability to, to break through tackles. I mean, they're big boys. They're big boys. And uh, the amount of carries uh, or the amount of uh, ability to carry um, within and gain meters as well. I mean, the passing, the offloading, the skill level, the footwork. Um, also set piece, actually. Something that we actually do not maybe uh, take into consideration yeah. when we look at the uh, the Islanders. Uh, I mean, the scrums were amazing. The line outs and uh, the line outs were also quite good and detailed as well. So those more, those aspects now seem to be getting into their game because I mean I read something during the week about how Tana Umaga is trying to get Moana Pacifica to get more professional in their approach in their setup as well but you can see that on the field as well you saw that last week even though they lost against the Highlanders but you can see what they're trying to do and obviously it is going to take time it's not going to happen overnight but you can really see the results on the field on how, how much detail Tana has come has put into this Moana Pacifica side as well yeah, and special shout-out to Tom Kamatri and Stephen Jones. You know, I mean, Stephen Jones, you can see the patience that he's brought in. Um, the way when they're on attack, they're more patient. They don't throw that 50-50. Um, even on defense, also, they're a little bit more disciplined. I know they considered a red card yesterday, but, I mean, that was... Nigel A. Wong was a little bit unlucky there, I would say, because, I mean, he did turn his shoulder, but it didn't look well, uh, good on TV. But um, for the, the liners and the set pieces, the scrums, I mean, that's that's Tom commentary. That's that's what he does. He's, 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 he's known. I mean, he's an old-school coach. He's worked for years with the Blues and in the Auckland setup as well. He's had a few gigs overseas as well. He's a very, very good coach, sports coach. I mean, he's highly rated if you listen to uh, a few of the podcasts from New Zealanders. He's highly rated that side. So you can really see that you know, they, they, they got guys in there that's, you know, they, it's not what they call it, you know, square pegs around, in round holes. It's, they, they got a, a system there. Um, what he, William Avili, I think he's just kicked on from the World Cup. He's really blooming and grooming into a quality number 10 and learning from Christian Leofano. I mean, you can do what you want at number 10. If you have Julian Savia next to you and you have Nigel Awong and all of those big guys next to you and Mariko Fayolangi, you know, tackling on the inside, you can do what you want to as a team because you've got protection, you know. So I think really they, they look well, they look good. Uh, for the Drua, um, unfortunately, this weekend they play the Crusaders so in, in Fiji, so that could be a big game. Um, it's just unfortunate, you know, that they had a little bit of a tough start this year. I mean, they must have, you know, wished to have won that game because that was the... The, the, the game that they end up between the Blues and the Crusaders. But yeah, um, for them, I mean, they, they won't panic. They know that, you know, the game is there. Could have went either way. Um, they, they know what, I mean, they, they will just pick up from there. But yeah, I'm really, really, um, really impressed with one Pacifica. Yeah. Um, speaking of Crusaders, uh, Jade, uh, on it's been two games now. And yeah, Rob Penny in a spot of bother. Uh, I think he also lost all his preseason games or the Super Rugby preseason games. That is not the ones where they toured uh, the UK because I think they beat the Bears, but they still lost to Munster anyway. But yeah, at the moment, the Crusaders. When you watch them, they don't look organized. They don't look um, disciplined. They don't look like a team that we've known over the years. Uh, there's something missing. Obviously, they've lost a big man in Sam Whitelock. That's leadership. That's experience. That's, um, that's yeah, something you really... you, you It's not easy to replace. Um, they've lost uh, one of their best, or actually, if not the best, number 10 in Super Rugby history uh, in Mwanga as well, because you can see the... The ailment or the the, the 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 lack of ability within the number ten jersey, where they're not getting any direction. 
from that because they've got inexperienced guys. Uh, I mean, they have this Kamara kid who literally was playing under 20s last year. He really needs to get, I don't know, some good momentum and also some comfortable some comfortability into that number 10 position. But the Crusaders at the moment, with guys like Havili uh, playing at midfield, you would expect some leadership. Uh, you would expect some experience coming through, especially in midfield. The players that are all Blacks who are playing next to maybe an immature number 10, but there was none of it. I mean, what are your thoughts between the Crusaders and Waratahs? Or actually, what are your thoughts about Crusaders currently in this competition? You know, as bad as the Crusaders were yesterday, the Waratahs were good. They were very good. I mean, they their game plan was awesome. Um, Edmund ran that 10 channel. He exposed the awesome Kamara, um, you know, the, the partnership there on defense. Um, even Zavili got exposed as well. By letting Gleason and Gambit, you know, and Jen Alloway and all of those big boys run onto Kamara and make Kamara make one-on-one tackles. And that's where they got all the advantage. And sometimes they broke, you know, their defensive line from there and they went on. And one thing of the tours yesterday, they snipped opportunities. I mean, they whenever they entered in the red zone, they took points and they moved. Um, if you look at the Crusaders yesterday, I mean, they did some un-Crusader-like stuff. I mean, Avili's charged down. Then Avili throwing a 50-50 to Drummond, getting intercept, which the Waratahs scored from. Before half-time, it was level. Um, there were often to just run down the clock um, and then kick the ball out and into half-time. You know, what he did was 10 seconds before half-time, he kicked the ball out. Quartos got a line out just outside the Crusaders 22 and they scored from there, took momentum again forward, you know. Um, that's that's a Crusader. It, you, you don't even, I mean, you, you can't imagine the Crusaders making mistakes like that. Um, for a team to lose, any team in the world to lose, White Lock, Mwanga, Jack Goodyear, Walt Jordan, Lestefina, Nuku, um, <laughs> Cody Taylor's not there. So they basically lost their spine. So they're going to take some time to, you know, to gel and you know, to find the right combinations. Sometimes, you know, you, you'd have as a coach a starting 15, but sometimes together that 15 doesn't play well together. Um, they're going to need to know, you know, what combinations work better. Does the really a more combination work better than the McLeod? A more combination, do I need to play a really maybe a 10 um, for the next game against in Fiji and, you know, get McLeod into the team. Do I need, you know, he's going to need to look at certain things there. Um, Rob Penny, I, I had my doubts when he was appointed as a coach. Um, I really thought maybe somebody like the mighty Ellison should have got it. But, um, yeah, he's experienced. He should know what to do. And, I mean, they've got a few old heads there, uh, Franks and Moody and, you know, Barrett. And so to pick the guys up. Um, the pack is not bad, but, I mean, they still look rush at line-out time. Uh, Bial is really struggling with his tail ball, so it doesn't really help. They're not getting, you know, in the red zone. Sometimes they're losing the ball in the line-out time. Um, sometimes, like Bial yesterday got penalized twice for his break foot. Um, it's it's, it's ground time on their ball. That's, that's no coach-killing errors that they're making at the moment. I think for them, they need some time. Uh, I think they'll, they, their plan would be just to get into the quarterfinals and take it from there because they'll obviously be a dangerous team. But they need time, Scoop. They're going to take a, a while to get to get used to and without the Razor, the post-Razor era because, I mean, that's been a, a dynasty. It hasn't just been an era. Razor created a dynasty there. So it's going to take some time for them to get out of that. But let's not take anything away from it. Um, Gleason, it looks like a young today gift with eight for the Waratahs. I really like that kid. Um... The way they played yesterday, they picked themselves up from, you know, getting a hiding against the Red last week, coming yeah. back, beating the Crusaders. That's off to them, you know, really, really adds off to them. Edmund, uh, Gleason, um, Peach, the winger, they all, the, I mean, the, the, the Tars look like they, you know, they can get something going at, at in, in Sydney. And I mean, this competition needed a, a, a game like this. What benefit would you have by the Crusaders blowing over the, the Waratahs yesterday? You wouldn't have that benefit in Super Rugby. <laughs> Oh, 100%, 100%. I mean, it's really just good to see the Reds also performing quite well. I mean, they were quite close against the Hurricanes. And to see the Waratahs beat the Crusaders, which is good. Uh, now Crusaders are 0-2. And then, obviously, the Chiefs blew out the Brumbies. I mean, but that was a freaking massive display by the Chiefs this morning. Unbelievable. But then the Highlanders and the Blues was also quite uh, an a, a, a very good game as well. I mean, the Highlanders maybe slipped up here and there, but really competitive rugby, uh, really. 
I mean, I'm enjoying the spectacle. I'm enjoying every moment of it. Obviously, there are red cards that are there. And I like the fact that maybe the officials are also being a bit stricter than they were maybe in previous years, because then also there's something that the boys will take into the international season as well. I mean, we've seen what happened in last year's World Cup uh, final as well, where uh, Sam Kane got a red card, obviously by a shoulder, uh, head on shoulder, uh, foul play. And I think it was quite similar to Jordy Barrett's red card as well This uh, uh, yesterday uh, against the, the Reds. But yeah, something of that sort. But does, I like the fact that at least the officials element is also just being a bit stricter. Even at the breakdown, they're a bit stricter. You're not allowed to be lingering around that breakdown so that the teams can get... Uh, Good uh, go forward ball as well. Um, uh, scrum time. I mean, really not. It's not about the scrums and resets, but they're really strict on if the ball is at the back and the and the front rows collapse. Let's play on. Let's move on. There's not going to be any time to be resetting scrums and taking so much time away from the element of the game and the and the ball being in play and people and bodies moving the whole time and tries being scored. Most importantly, I mean, if you look at the score line. There's, I mean, everything is over 20, right? Now, if I'm, com- I'm not gonna compare it yet, but we're gonna get into it later. Hugh, uh, Hugh, any games that you watched or that you were quite interested or keen on watching in this uh, Super Rugby round? I caught the end of some games, so I caught the end of the Jewa versus Pacifica game, which was quite like a game of sevens at the end, but I really enjoyed it. Um, Jewa versus Pacifica is always very high score lines on both sides, so. I don't know whether they have a word with each other before the game and say, look, guys, let's go out and let's enjoy ourselves today. You can really, really sense the passion in both teams coming uh, through the TV as you watch them. So I enjoyed that. Um, And then I was watching Crusaders versus Waratahs and Waratahs obviously got in the lead and I messaged Jade and said, I've seen this game uh, 10 times. The Waratahs are going to go into the lead and then the Crusaders are going to score 30 unanswered points in the second half. And Jade said to me, no, that's not going to happen. Crusaders is a different team. And I was like, yeah, right, we'll see. But then he was right. So there you go. Um, definitely feels like uh, the whole competition with the, with the Crusaders um, falling off like this, it feels like the whole competition is in flux now. And obviously we would expect the Chiefs and the Blues to fill that gap. But yeah, it just feels like a massive change. I'm not, I want to know what you guys think of Golden Point. I feel like if it's a draw, if it's... A, it's a draw. Why do we need to have this golden point thing? Is it that entertaining, really? I don't know. I don't. I don't feel a need for it personally. <laughs> I love the golden point. Uh, obviously, taken from uh, the American way of doing things. Uh, if you watch uh, NBA or if you watch NFL, they never have draws. So every time a uh, game is, if the teams are uh, equal uh, by full time, there's always overtime. And overtime is ongoing until someone scores uh, the winning the winning points. So with them, it's mostly about the golden point. is mostly about uh, whoever scores first uh, after overtime. But obviously, I mean, I don't know. Draws are, I don't know, quite disappointing, to be honest. If we are really being honest, a nil-nil draw in football, also very disappointing. It wasn't nil-nil, want... it was 33 points each. No, 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 but I'm just making <laughs> an example. Uh, a nil-nil draw will be... Yeah, I mean, why? What's the point of drawing? Can we get a winner? If we get a winner, we get good points. No one is sharing the spoils. Uh, but yeah, that's just for me. Uh, I enjoy at least someone winning a particular game. I mean, especially if it's one of those teams, you know, uh, or one of those games where there's like a big rivalry or there's, there's so much at stake. Uh, for example, if you're watching... Uh, hypothetically, Stormers versus Bulls, for example. I mean, I don't think anyone would want a draw because of what is at stake, because of the rivalry, because maybe the Stormers have, because the Stormers have beaten the Bulls for so long, and if the Bulls were so close and they only end up in a draw, I mean, it just le- it just leaves a sour taste in the mouth for some for some reason. But yeah, I I get people that probably wouldn't want that. But for me personally, I really enjoy at least a result in a game. I mean, a draw is a result, I know, but getting someone to win, I think for me that 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 takes the cake. I don't know what Jade feels about uh, overtime or the golden point element. Nah, I enjoyed it this morning, Scoop. Um, you know, it was 
I really enjoyed it being watching it as a neutral because obviously, you know, I support the blues, but I mean, it was, I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, the reason lucky actually at the end because I really feel that I think it was Peter Lakai never rolled away with that turnover made in, the, in, in, in front of the polls and uh, Tom Liner, he looks like a talent at 10 really for the Reds. Um, I think both of them, uh, Edwin and Liner, really looks like two flowers coming through there, but I enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's entertaining, it's, it's, you know, it's fun. So I, I think it's something that it can be applied in Super Rugby. I know the IRB won't, you know, look at that laws. But, um, yeah, Scoop, you know, the way you said it um, before you went to you there and you spoke about Super Rugby, it sounded just like JK. So um, are you going to campaign for him to be president of the IRB or what? Because <laughs> the way you were saying, speaking of the scrums there, and speaking of the entertainment, and, you know, everybody's enjoying the game. Looks like you... You, you enjoy this corner in terms of the rules that he wants to bring in. But yeah, um, so far this weekend, good rugby from Super Rugby. Uh, it was very nice, um, you know, entertaining rugby. And uh, we look forward to next week because next week is again a few umpires. <laughs> yeah, 100%. A very good uh, weekend of Super Rugby. Just to give you guys the scores for this weekend, Super Rugby, Hurricanes 38, the Reds 33. That's the overtime game or golden point game that you was referencing to as well. Uh, the Chiefs 46, Brumbies 12, Crusaders 24, Waratahs 37. A uh, big one for the Waratahs there. Moana Pacifica 39, Fijian Drua 36, which was a great game of entertainment, which you referenced uh, in our conversation as well. Uh, Rebels and Force, Rebels uh, taking it 48 32. 34 and then Highlanders and Blues. Uh, Blues taking that one with 37 points to 29. Um, guys, this weekend, um, URC kicked off, and obviously, there's a big, there was a big, big game. I think for me, big game of the weekend has to be the Bulls versus the Stormers. Um, we've got someone from the UK who really appreciates what Jake White is doing over there in Pretoria, Highfelt. And obviously, you had 60,000 people at the stadium. Great atmosphere. Zombie was one of the headline songs, apparently. And obviously, the Bulls taking it away from the Stormers. Hugh, the Bull Bulls are marching on. Talk to me. Scary. Scary. They've got everything. Um, it was a fantastic event. Um, and it, by all accounts, you know, with the delay to the kickoff, that I thought might take the edge off it uh, it was confusing here in the uk because it wasn't clear what the delay was for or what was going on but once it's once it did get kicked off yeah just absolutely fantastic great to see those huge crowds uh, absolutely unbelievable to get that for a regular league match just a big derby uh stormers obviously come into it it's a weird dynamic because the stormers are kind of like the 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 darlings of south african rugby they're kind of like the 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 biggest drawer of crowds they got the uh, superstars playing for them but the bulls kind of took them apart i mean the stormers were pretty poor in the first half i thought and i thought to to be within four points at half time was quite surprising but then they just couldn't couldn't hang with the bulls for the full 80 um and yeah i'm massively impressed i was looking at some old highlights of some games two two or so years ago with the bulls and their progression from then until now Yes, they've spent a bit of money on players, but it's money well spent. And they're bringing more players back. Um, yeah, it, I don't think, I can't see anyone going to Loftus and getting a result anytime soon. And I think they're very much, you know, Leinster have got to secure a home game. Because if it's a home final for the Bulls against Leinster, I think the Bulls are going to win it. If, even if it's a home final for Leicester, I think the Bulls have the potential of winning it. <laughs> <laughs> Jade, you saw it happening at Loftus. Talk to me. Yeah, no, look, the Bulls were awesome. Um, the Bulls were awesome. I think a guy like Ambrose Papir had a, another storming game yesterday. I mean, surely he's... Rasi has to think about him. I mean, he's mature. He's, you know, he's, playing, he's playing good rugby. I mean, I think... I was chatting to Scrumming Flower a few days ago and as we were talking about him and I think his inclusion came into the pop team came at the wrong time during the Alistair Kutsia era. But I think he's ready now. I think he is one that, you know, Rasi can really include in that squad of his. But yeah, um, the Bulls were awesome uh, in the first. They started well. 
But then they allowed the Stormers back into the game. And let's not beat around the bush. There was a moment in that game, even Ruiz knocked the ball on, you know, short on the line. Um, if we look at it nicely, the Stormers had to score there. They would have been four points or three points behind with five to play. Fails up. I mean, it's a completely different game. It was a 10 to play or so, but I mean, they almost threw it away. Uh, but they came back, you know, they, they won convincingly at the end. Kirtley Aarons, uh, um, like I said, Papir, they lose forwards. Marcel um, Kutsi had a good game. Uh, Nokia at lock, it was awesome again. Um, for the Stormers, uh, it's not all, you know, doom and gloom. Um, they'll still be in there. I don't think they'll get a home quarterfinal, but. They, they should be in the quarterfinals and I think they should make them way to the semi and their team also that don't fear anybody on their day, they can beat anybody. Just, you know, a thing I picked up yesterday uh, and interesting actually you, I seen yesterday was Mani Lebok's fourth game in the URC this season. It's actually strange because I thought he might have played more this season. Okay, I know there was a World Cup and that post-World Cup celebrations or so, but I mean, just for the, just shows you that the Stormers do have depth in their squad because guys like Mani Lebok and um, Valencia didn't play that much this season. So, yeah, it's actually, you know, interesting to say that uh, Mani actually played four games in the URC this season. Yeah, go ahead, you. Yeah, I think it feels like more because Mani's been playing in the Challenge Cup, well, sorry, Champions Cup. So that kind of adds to his game tally. I want to ask you guys about Goosen, the uh, Bulls fly half. It feels to me like he's, I'm going to be harsh here, it feels like he's a bit of a weak link in the team at the moment. Um, he's kicking his goals, but I just feel like they could be, that's something that they could add to. Do you think um, the Bulls could be in the market for a new fly half sometime soon? Oh, man, for my, yeah, that's typical Jake White. I mean, he he's really not looking for a flashy fly-off. He really wants someone who's steady, someone who, yes, he might look like a weak link, but for Jake White, someone who's steady, someone who's mature enough, someone who can actually get those goal, those points. Because, I mean, they had uh, Stain also before. Yeah, I mean, Stain is a sharpshooter. He's accurate at goalposts. And obviously, with Jake's type of rugby, penalty, we go for, we go for a shot. It's pretty much similar to Springbok style of rugby. So he will basically give you a, st a stable performance. He won't be risky. So the little, the less risk a fly-off takes, the more chances Jake White will pick you over a fly-off that probably takes risks. Uh, just maybe a short summary of how I'm understanding how Jake White coaches. I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe Jade can jump in as well. So how long yeah. is left on Andre Pollard's contract at Leicester Tigers? <laughs> very close actually very close yeah I think I think that's the one you know that I maybe Pollard do come back I think obviously it's a no-brainer if his contract runs out there if he doesn't go to Japan anyway he'll come back to Pretoria but I mean I don't think the Bulls would uh, mention if they are and they look out for a fly-off because they're scared the Sharks might just sign him but yeah um, I think for Goose I don't he had an okay game yesterday the thing is, of course, he's injury prone also. So he gets, he doesn't really get a good run and then he's injured. This season has been a little bit different. Um, obviously, when Vali came on, you know, they took some pressure off of him. Uh, that's, that's, you know, obviously Vali is influential in this team. But, uh, for me, I think Jake White will stick it with Goose and Smith, um, you know, for another season or so, and then look in the market who is available. Um, who is available besides Pollard, I'm not sure, because, I mean, everybody else is relatively settled in terms of teams in South Africa. Um, even the young guys coming through already at the Bulls, you know, the promising number 10 and then the 19 or 18 level are at the Bulls already. So, um, you know, that's something to have a look at. That. But, yeah, for me... For now, I think he's okay with Goose and uh, Smith, the combination, and they'll, they'll, they'll take it from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted uh, to continue with you, Jade, on this one. Uh, there's a particular point that was made uh, by, I think, Dion Faree about Stormers making stupid mistakes. But what do you think of the forward packs of the two sides? I mean, the Blue Bulls, 
basically dominated every facet of play on uh, on Saturday night in terms of the mauling, the lineouts, and some of the scrums too. Because I mean, you've got Netling uh, for sure, who's been very good at uh, at at the Stormers, and the Stormers have had a very solid scrum. I mean, if we go back to Stade de France, where they literally obliterated Stade de France away from home, especially at set piece time, and then Stade de France top of the top fourteen, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And now, basically, the Brubles making them look ordinary. What is the thought? What are your thoughts on, on the Ford packs on Saturday? I wouldn't say they made them really look ordinary at scrum time. I think scrum time was a little bit of a 50-50 at times because Nietzsche also won his fair share of penalties as well. Um, but in terms of the lineouts, the Bulls read their lineouts. I mean, Joseph Dweber struggled. Then Andre Hufenter came on and he lost his first ball as well in the lineout. So he also struggled. So... I was I really, I think the Stormers need to, they really need to iron out that, that line. You can't, you know, for me, you can't be losing important and crucial lineups in important times during the game. For me, it's, it's, it's coach, really coach killers. Um, uh, in terms of the loose trio, uh, I look at it, uh, the Bulls did miss uh, Erich Lowe and Hanukkah yesterday, but they still had an upper hand with Eskom and... Um, Marcel Kutsia and who played seven? Uh, it was it Ludwig who played seven. But yeah, they're upper end there as well. But I mean, they, they're scavengers, you know. And if you look at the way the storm is set up with Daimani, Ruas, and uh, Baranas, Vatian Puri, they, Daimani and Ruas are similar type of players, you know. They like to be loose, uh, big ball carriers. So obviously, they maybe um, Job Dobson needs to tweak his setup there um, as to how those two play together and look at it, integrating that two together. But I wouldn't say the Stormers really struggled up front. They, the first 20 minutes, the Bulls blitzed them, and then the Stormers got a foothold back into the game. Uh, There's a few good 50-22s from um, Galant and from Nullabok settled into the game, and then they got back into the game. But I mean, they, there was coach-killing errors that they made. I mean, like I speak, the the lineouts, Dweb's, Dweb's, Dweb's got to learn. <laughs> He's, he's got to come right now. I mean, we, we can't be every weekend be moaning at Joseph Dweber's lineup friend because that cost him a spot in the World Cup. This man must probably cost him a spot in the Bok team. Uh, Andre Hofenter is doing the same thing. Although when he did come on, his loose play was, was, was well. You know, he, he was all around the park. He was um, carrying well. He, he, he was going everywhere. But I mean, yeah, that's that, that's how I see it. And also, Scoop, I know guys on here might argue with me here, but there was a big drop off the way I looked at it. Um, the props, when Klopper came on and Brock Harris uh, came on at, at Lucid for the um, for, for the Stormers and Klopper came on for, for the Bulls. Now, obviously, I only saw it from that side because that was the angle that we saw on TV. But there was a big difference between what we saw with Steenkamp and with Nietzsche uh, with, 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 with and, and also with um, Wilco Lois Tollett. The, the, the shape and the, you know, the way they scrummed, the way they kept their body and the way the scrum was the battle. When Klopper and Harris came on, Klopper really buckled up with Harris. I really saw there was a few times that if the referee was brave enough, he could have penalised Klopper a few times. So something, if you're going into the semi-finals and finals that, you know, a Graham Roundtree and a Jacques Nienaber will look at it and say, OK, we can milk a few penalties on this reserve tight end over here because he's, he's not that strong scrummage, he's inexperienced, you know, we can get his elbow, we can get him to collapse, we can get him to a big stand by doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So that was so something that, you know, I did look at yesterday in terms of the, the path, but obviously I didn't see it from the other angle, you know, from uh, the loose set, from the, the Bulls, uh, the Stormer side, and from the tight end, from the, the Bulls side in the second half because of the, the, TV, the TV cameras, yeah. No, fair, fair, 100%. Um... Hugh, I don't know if you also watch maybe on the tactical side of things, but I feel um, that the Bulls came up with a plan, a very simple plan. Uh, get good malls, get good scrums, don't play too much in your own half, try and play into the Stormers' half and convert those um, into points, territory into points. But another aspect that the Bulls were quite good at or maybe noticed the Stormers are not good in the air or aerial skills because the amount of times the Bulls kicked up and unders in that game was hectic. And the amount of times they put Warwick Haaland under pressure and on those 50-50 balls, because I don't think, I don't remember seeing him catch even one ball. I mean, how good is it that they get to expose 
uh, one frailty or one weakness within that Stormers pack, uh, within the Stormers aerial skills? Yeah, there's obviously something that they've spotted. I find that the Stormers kicking game is quite erratic. It's quite risk-heavy. They like to take risks and they they sometimes get themselves into trouble and they back themselves to have the talent in their backs to get themselves out of trouble. Um, but I think when you come across a team as good as the Bulls, you need to have a lot of talent. Um, yeah. I think their kicking game is a lot better when they get Sasha on the pitch. I think he's an unbelievable kicker from hands. Warwick Gallant, you know, we all know about him. He has his moments where he's incredible. He has his moments where you just think, what is he doing? Um, but yeah, and you, you'd, I think someone said to me that they think that the Bulls have the best back three in the whole URC with uh, Moody, Ahrens, uh, who obviously can play fullback, and then Vili LaRue, who they actually had on the bench in this game. Mm. So I think that was a clear area of strength that the Bulls have. Just going back more generally about the Bulls and what you were saying about um, Jake White rugby, if you look at their um, tries per carry stats, they're ridiculous. Compared to everybody else in the URC, most people are between 30 and 40 carries per try. The Bulls are like 20 carries per try. It's like a third lower than everybody else. They only play when they have to, and they make it count when they do. It's, it's pretty remarkable. 100%. 100%. That's why they call you the stats man. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, uh, enough with the Bulls. There was thunderstorms in, uh, in, uh, in Johannesburg, but the Sharks are really under the weather. We expected more this weekend, but it seems to have dropped off and they're really under the weather. Bongi Mbonambi came back. Guys, to be honest, for me, when I watched this game between the Sharks and the Lions, all I could hear or all I could see was Bongi Bonambi standing to the referee the whole game, basically. Um, yeah, Jade, let's start with you. What are your thoughts with this particular game? I mean, there was really nothing exciting for me, to be honest. Uh, I think after like 35th minute or so, the first time they scored or the next score in that game came around the 63rd minute. So from 35 minutes until the 63rd minute was a really big gap of just going through a lull, if I'm, for lack of a better word, uh, for both teams. There was no one trying to score. There was no one who was trying to be innovative. There was no one trying to give different pictures. But yeah, eventually the Sharks maybe uh, fell off because of the high felt or whatever, but they kind of fell off after the 63rd minute and then the Lions started scoring and obviously they put up 40 points eventually. But yeah, Jade, your thoughts about this game? You know, I think it's not all doom and gloom for the Sharks because the new signings of next year actually tore them apart. <laughs> so the scouts have did something well, you know, and signed some good players from the Lions. But yeah, that's a normal case for them. But you know what, guys? Are we going to complain about the Sharks every weekend? When are we going to come to our senses that Plumtree is not the guy for this job? He should have never gotten this job. He was bad. Um, like we said, at, at, when he was, he's, he's over the year. Um, for the Lions yesterday against the Sharks, you know, they, they beat them twice now. They beat them at Kings Park and they beat him now at, 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 at Ellis Park. And they gave him a proper idea yesterday. If you're beating a team by 40 points after the game, please do not moan about officiating if you're the losing captain because take, take the L and move on. I really, I was a little bit, um, I wasn't impressed with Bongi yesterday. Being a senior, you know, Springbok, I kept in the box a few times the way. And tell you honestly, I, I'm not saying this because Amy Barateron is a female. I'm just saying it's in the referee in general. We don't need this way. You know, we, he, he was complaining with the referee after the game. He had a few things to say as well. We don't we don't need this in the game, especially from a senior box. I mean, Bongi should have just got on, rallied these troops, trying down the best for, for, for the Sharks because they are in a horror spot at the moment. I mean, they tried to shake things up yesterday with a new 10-12 combination that didn't work. They've just got a toxic, toxic environment in Durban, guys. We have to admit it. Um, they need a new... Maybe just getting Plumtree or so out, getting somebody new in a fresh start. Just, I don't know how they can turn things around because every weekend it's the same thing with the Sharks. And they got a proper idea yesterday. Now, Amba was brilliant once again. Um, the Lions, their unit, you know, they, they really eye in the spot in their quarterfinals. And for what they've been and the way they punched above their weight this season, 
I mean, we've heard two seasons ago the stories of, you know, uh, having hot dogs for lunch to cut budget and stuff on tour. I really hope they, they can make it into the top, the top eight. But, yeah, I mean, we can't complain about the Sharks every weekend. They are, they, they, they've got a toxic environment there. Um, from the top right down, we need to sort it out. And, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Hugh, your thoughts? Yeah, I think you'd have to call it now. It's been, how many games have we played in the URC now? 11 plus um, the European matches. I think you'd have to say John Plumtree. I'm sorry, mate, it just hasn't worked. We need to find a new solution now. Uh, with the selection, it looks like they were going, maybe having all the spring boxes the problem. Maybe if we take the spring box out, that will solve it. And no, that didn't work either. Um, Lions, just fantastic for them. As Jade said, just the, the big underdogs in South Africa. And it's fantastic to see them get a result and a big result. Um, and see, you know, so they've got some cult heroes growing over there now with Inflaba Kanye and Sonelli Nohamba, of course. I don't think they'll miss Hendrixa too much if they've got that guy who's able to play in both positions. I think it's interesting for the box now because you've got these um, flair players playing all over the URC and it's it's great to do that at URC level and you can get away with it but once it, it transitions to international Sonelli Nohamba isn't going to have the time or the space and if he makes one bad decision he can be punished at international level and you could see that he gets dropped from the team for just one bad mistake so that'll be an interesting storyline to follow but yeah just, just delighted for the Lions and it would be fantastic if they could get into the top eight they're currently 11th but they are three points off eighth, and you know they've got a they've played most of the other South African teams that's out of the way now, so they're going to be inviting European teams to South Africa, and you would bag them to be favourites in most of those big game against the Ospreys away in Swansea, coming up. But yeah, just a a great story all round, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at the log, gentlemen, Stormers are out of the top eight at the moment, but obviously I'm sure that won't be too long. We've got number one Leicester. Leinster, rather. Uh, Blue Bulls at number two. Glasgow Warriors, number three. Edinburgh, four. Ulster, five. Munster, six. Connacht, or Connacht, seven. And then Benetton at eight. Uh, Benetton have really dropped way too low in the past uh, couple of weeks of the URC. Hugh, uh, there's also other results, obviously, within the URC. But which game in particular up north did you pay attention to? We know the Scarlets took a hiding from Connacht, but which other games do you did you pay keen interest to uh, in the URC in the UK? Yeah, I didn't really want to talk about the Scarlets too much. We're still rubbish. Um, other games, I watched Edinburgh versus Ospreys, which was not a great game. I tell you what, going from watching that to watching Dua versus Mona Pacifica a few hours later, that was a culture shock. It's like two different sports um but yeah um edinburgh did their best to throw that game away but unfortunately ospreys just weren't good enough to capitalize i watched cardiff against leinster um you would think that would be a mismatch and it kind of was in the end but cardiff were winning at half time which was a bit of a surprise so that that was good to see um and cardiff starting to get their act together a bit now off the pitch they got the new owners with the new money and they're starting to spend it sensibly, which is a first for Welsh rugby, actually money being invested off the pitch rather than on it, which is something that we don't tend to do. So that was good to see. Uh, other than that, um, Glasgow got a big win over in Benetton, like you say, so that would be a massive missed opportunity for Benetton, missing a lot of internationals, obviously, but still able to field some big players and big missed opportunity. You'd see them now down in seventh or eighth. Um hanging on really to a playoff spot from looking very comfortable just a couple of weeks ago to now looking a bit precarious. Mm, it's, it's it's a tricky one. So they're going to have to hope for a big run of form when their internationals come back. Other than that, yeah, no other real surprises. Uh, Zebra got um, 29 points over in Munster. So that was a good result. They finished 40 points to 29 to Munster, which is kind of sounds like a bit of a battering Arge Snyman. Um, absolutely tearing it up to p pulling out this offload game out of nowhere. Um, but fair play to Zebra for getting four tries away in Munster as well. That's no mean feat. So um, big signs of improvement from them, really. 
Fair enough, fair enough. Hugh, sticking with you, um, news coming from up north, eligibility laws. It made headlines the whole week of last week. I mean, your thoughts, I mean, there's been plenty of players, obviously, part of the Six Nations currently. Uh, some of them obviously not born and bred in the particular countries they represent currently, but most of those players have plied their trade in those countries, played for the for the clubs, they've got homes, they've got families, they've got their children growing up in those regions. And now, and, and obviously as a bonus, they get to represent either Ireland or Scotland. And now some Welsh players is playing for England, etc. I mean, Eligible, cheapest tongue twister. Eligibility laws. I mean, do you have an issue with this current situation that we're in, from a general perspective, as a rugby fan, rugby person yourself, stats man? I mean, what are your thoughts regarding this? No, I don't have a problem at all. I think it's just the English moaning because they lost a game. Um, look, the Bundyaki has lived in Ireland for ten years. I think he's allowed to represent the Irish national team, to be honest with you. Um, Duan van der Merwe okay, may, may seem like an extreme case, but he's lived in Scotland for long enough and he calls it his home. I think someone made the point of, you know, like take Cameron Hanekam, for example, um, when people were saying he's got a Welsh grandmother and he was eligible to play for Wales. But I don't think people would have um, spoken much about that because he had a, a Welsh bloodline. Um, but you'd argue that if someone had maybe been born outside Wales but lived there for 20 years has got more of a claim to it than he does as an example but I don't really have an issue with anything at all like I say I think it's just the English moaning because they lost um, if you take someone like Manitou Alagi is obviously Samoan um, but no one's complaining about him and I'm not either by the way we it's a boring conversation, to be honest. And in the UK especially, like, I've, to be honest with you guys, so I, I born and grew up and live in England. Um, my dad's side of the family is Welsh. But in the UK especially, it's a completely stupid conversation to have because you don't even need to have a passport to move between the different countries, and or three different countries, I should say. You can move house for work. I work with a guy who we, he works in... Um, England, but he lives in North Wales and he commutes every day because um, you can just do that. It's it's three countries, but it's also well, four countries, I should say, but also one. So, you know, eligibility between England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. It's kind of a daft navel gazing conversation, to be honest. So I think it's boring, to be honest, this whole conversation. Yeah, fair enough. Jade, your thoughts? Bro, I support New Zealand as well. So, I mean, they've filled with Tongan and Samoans in Fiji, and so I have no problem with the eligibility laws. <laughs> I think Scrumgeon Fly Half on the, on the call had a good Ah, Scrumgeon Fly Half's an idiot, you know what? He's an idiot. <laughs> He's just an idiot. But yeah, I have no problem with it, guys. You know what? Listen to this. So, you have Leinster, and you have Munster, and Ulster, and all of those guys, and especially in Scotland, it's only two franchises with um, Glasgow and Edinburgh. So, the Scottish Rugby Union should give, you know, those franchises, or the Irish Rugby Union does give those franchises some form of money, you know? So, obviously, they're investing in players, they're investing in, in the clubs, you know, and the clubs who basically, what the money they get from the union, they either do central contracting, or they do, um, you know, they pump money into the club and the club tends to buy players from other countries. And if the player is good enough after four years and he's not called up by his country of birth, let him play for that country. Let him play because, I mean, the investment was made by that rugby union. So I have no problem with it, guys. The problem I do have is um, guys leaving at the age of 18, 19, going overseas, especially to Africa. That's one we got to watch because... If guys are going to do that, we're going to get so much more to Africans playing for France, England, and the overseas because there's one we really need to watch. And I think Rassi Rasmussen, you know, Isirabi needs to watch that because that can be clear on Messi, um, especially if we're getting guys signing from Crane, going to Montpellier or, you know, clubs in France and not, not playing the rugby in Africa. That's a problem. But I mean, guys leaving here and going that side, like to Brad Shields, like to Duan, Van der I have no problems. 
That is fair. Fair enough, gentlemen. Guys, uh, this weekend coming up uh, next week, we've got the Six Nations back in action. But there's a few guys that are making headlines. Warren Gatland, Sean Edwards. I want to start off with Sean Edwards. Uh, Hugh, Sean Edwards comes into the French uh, coaching staff, does miracles for the past three to four years. Um, now, 2024, or fast forward 2024, France in a spot of bother, not really performing at optimum level, but everyone seems to be pointing fingers at Sean Edwards. He's the defensive coach. He's been the one that's literally put France on a, on a, on a, on the map in terms of what has transpired over the past uh, three to four years. Your thoughts regarding this particular aspect? I think Sean Edwards is getting the finger pointed at him because he's the outsider. He's the foreigner. He's the Englishman in the in the French um, setup, and they're losing. It's amazing what losing does to a set of people. You know, when you're winning, everything's fine. When you're losing, everything's not fine. Um, and that's just the way it goes. Every fan base is the same. Every single one. Um, so Sean Edwards hasn't become a bad coach overnight. We know his defense works. So his defense. Still holds the record for Wales. We conceded two tries in the whole Six Nations in 2013, I think. Uh, or maybe 2012, anyway. One of those, absolutely unbelievable. He's a great coach. If he leaves France, he'll get another job instantly. If they want to point the finger at him, fine. But I think it's just a case of the French are losing and someone's got to take the blame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Jade? Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't put the blame on Sean Edwards. I would stick with what I said a few weeks ago. Um, the problem in the French division now, again, or in the French team, is the players are not bringing the top 14 um, and you know, the club form into the national team. So there's, there's the problem there. Um, it's obviously, we need to look at that environment, the French environment. Is the players, do they enjoy that environment? Do they rather prefer to be in the club environment? Because that's always been the problem with the French. And um, maybe, um, you know, Gautier, maybe he's gone four years too long or maybe he's gone a year too long and it's time for him to, to go instead of just pointing a picture of a finger at Sean Edwards. I'll just look at that whole attitude of that team. Do they want to... Are they bringing the same club form into the national team? Because, I mean, if you look at the way Bordeaux plays and you look at what Locou and um, Pinot was doing in the French team compared to Bordeaux, was completely different. So, yeah, for me, that's that's the problem. But, I mean, obviously, um, take any team and you take your best, your three best players out there. So, you take Aldridge, you take Dupont and you take Tamak uh, out. You're going to suffer, you're going to struggle, no matter what depth you have. So, French also need to look at that. I mean, the two by three, star, three stars are injured at the moment or not unavailable. I will say as well, Sean Edwards is the defence coach. And yes, Ireland scored five tries past them, but Ireland are the best team in the world. Um, Scotland and uh, Italy scored one try against them each. So, how is it the defence's fault? Yeah, that is a very good point uh, because I was also thinking with regards to how passive the attack is currently because obviously without Dupont and Tamak and the, some of the players that Jade mentions, they do look really fragile on attack and also lack of creativity and innovation in just getting their, their, um, their forwards good front football and also just understanding each other as well. I mean, Dante hasn't really looked the same. Uh, you've got Fiku who also hasn't really looked the same. Peno, I don't know what has happened from being a golden boy, golden winger who's scoring every other weekend to someone who really looks ordinary. Like Jade said, when they play for Bordeaux, the guys are really razzle-dazzling. But when they come into the French camp, they do, they really look out of place. Uh, maybe motivation is one of it as well. Maybe also Gaultier needs to probably look at himself first as well and also try and see, obviously, where the problems are. They almost look like the Sharks team currently. If we, if we look at uh, France and... Uh, and the Sharks, I can only look like teams that are playing similar type of rugby. I mean, not really enjoyable to see them in this in these positions at the moment. Um, you, there's also Warren Gatlin, who's saying quite a lot of things in the media currently. Uh, and one of the scribes in the UK said something about, yeah, Warren Gatlin is probably the the one person who got Wales rugby out of a pit. But now he seems to be the person that might bring it, might bring Walsh rugby into the pit. Well, Warren Gatlin said the regional, um, 
rugby uh, is a sinking ship and is not 100% convinced that a much-needed reset will happen. What are your thoughts with what Warren Gatlin is doing over there? I have, I don't know what is what he what why is he getting so much attention and why is he saying so many things in the media? What is happening over there? Well, he's saying things in the media because he's doing press conferences and he's being asked questions. Uh, I don't have much of a problem with what he said in the press conference. I think his comments were taken massively out of context by the headline writers. Um, Basically, in Welsh rugby, the WRU has been this massive mess, complete dysfunctional thing for years. But that's kind of distracted people from how dysfunctional and how messy everything else was. So my team, the Scarlets, was the best funded team in Wales for years. We had a playing budget of 7.7 million for years. Now look where we where we are. Like that money was completely wasted. And there were bad decisions made by the people at the top of the club. And it's exactly the same for all the other regions with maybe the exception of the Dragons as well. Badly run, bad decisions made at the top of them. So mm. if you were to give the Welsh regions a million pounds and say, there's a million pounds going in prove yourself, would you back them to invest that in badly needed off the field resources or go out and hire the best coach or the best defence coach or the best strength and conditioning coach in the world that they could get? Or would they go and spend it on a 35-year-old former international who's getting their last paycheck? You know, you, you wouldn't trust them to spend the money wisely. So I think, you know, Gatland hasn't always had a perfectly functional relationship with the regions, and I think that goes both ways. Um, but I think it is fair that someone holds the region's feet to the fire and says, you're asking for all this extra money. If you want extra money, you need to show that you know how to spend it and you'll spend it in the right way. Because if you're just going to spend it on giving old players fat contracts, that's not how you should be spending the money. And I agree with Gatlin when he says, forget the players, spend the money on the coaches and the facilities, because that's that's where we need to make up the difference. Mm, very interesting. Interesting. All right. I guess uh, Gatlin then uh, yeah, has been taken out of context uh, from what I'm hearing, basically. Uh, are you guys keen on having uh, Reese Peschel back in Wales? Ah, uh, look, he's playing a lower level of rugby. He wouldn't be looking this good in the URC, I'm telling ah, you. Ah, very, very funny. <laughs> oh, man, he's razzle-dazzling at the Highlanders. He's in the short form of his life. Uh, it would be nice to see uh, him getting back into Welsh footy in the next uh, season or two. Well, we're, we're touring Australia in the summer, so maybe he'll get picked for that. Yeah, let's see what Warren Gatlin does, basically. Guys, uh, we've come to our end of this particular show. But before we end, we know shithousery moment of the week. Before that, we've got a few news. Uh, obviously, Jaguares uh, might be set to come back to Super Rugby. Apparently, Augustine Pichot is driving that. Uh, that might be happening uh, maybe next year or the year after. Uh, it seems like they could be taking over the spot where Rebels are currently representing in Super Rugby. Um, we've got also former Springbok uh, World Cup winning coach in uh, Matthew Proudfoot, who's now going to be coaching... Um, what's his club? Uh, the Leopards in the Curry Cup First Division. Uh, Jimmy Coburn has got his own kicking tees call me Jim, called Jimmy G.T. Yeah, weird name. Anyway, um, yeah, so before now we head off, guys, we've got the shithousery moment of the week. I've got a few of those. Uh, first one um, is last week we had... The, we had the Lions, or we had the Sharks, actually announcing uh, the acquisition, uh, the players that they've bought from the from the from the Lions, making the announcement a week before the the derby. And then the second one is the French players trying to charge down a penalty that was last week when France were playing Italy. Um, and then the third one that I also noted down, uh, Bongin Bonambi's comments uh, in the new uh, documentary, Chasing the Sun 2. We heard a clip from Supersport um, where Bongin Bonambi is calling the English team's uh, energy plastic. That could be a shithousery moment. And then we've got 
Moody, Kenneth Moody, when when he tackled Willemser in the derby on Saturday, and Willemser, I think he lost his boot, and then <laughs> Kenneth Moody basically took that boot and threw it on the sideline of the match. But yeah, Jade and Hugh, which one for you? Which one are you guys going with for this week in terms of shit-housery moment of the week? We'll start yeah, off for, me, for me, I would say, obviously, the Kenan Moody one, you know, um, that for me yesterday was a little shit. I was really, <laughs> he's booted away uh, in the derby. You're going to have to repeat that. We didn't hear any word. Ah, shut it. Okay, there we go. So, I say Kenan yeah. Moody. I say Kenan Moody's one yesterday. That was, that for me was the <laughs> big shit. I was really, you know, throwing David Williams' booted away. For me, that's the one I would choose. Because, uh, obviously, the Sharks one backfired. And uh, Bongi's one, yeah, we've been over that whole Bongi versus England story at the moment. But yeah, um, the shutout three for me would be uh, Kenny Moody. Hugh? I liked the Bongi one. Uh, the thing I liked about the Bongi one was um, it, the narrative it creates around the scrum that for some reason um, pundits are unable to do. The, the whole, like, the, the macho-ness of it, the You've got to scrum against us, and this is a contest. This is something that only South Africa is able to do for whatever reason. Um, no one in the Northern Hemisphere wants to make the scrum sort of a personal contest. I think if you framed it as a, it's this guy versus this guy, and it's to see who is the strongest type thing, I think that would make the scrum way more engaging. So maybe not for how good it was as shithousery, but um, just in terms of a moment, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, fantastic. All right, we've got one each. Ruth, can, I, can I say something quickly? quickly. Yeah. I, I want to bring this up, and I see we have... Um... Sound, your sound is uh, a bit off. Ah, but... Is my sound off? Can you hear me now? No, 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 we can hear you, but I mean, I think there's okay. some noise in the background. Okay, sorry about that. But I mean, uh, yeah, in, in, yeah. Zero said it also, um, you know, there's a guy called Wildcard, and he does a lot of work in Australia. Please check him out. He's actually awesome. And you know what? I just want to get you's uh, perspective on this because you'd love this. You know, everybody's talking about you know the scrums being dead, and you know we want to liven up the game, and we want we want to get more ball in play, etc., etc., etc. Especially down in Super Rugby. So you, do you think Wild God came with this concept of when we have a scrum, why don't we rather have on the commentary a former prop? You know, they're um, talking and talking up the scrum, saying that it's Ethan the Groot versus Ufa Tuanga Fasi, two old black guys going at it, you know, and talking about the scrum, getting everybody excited about the scrum and watching the scrum. Instead of people just, you know, oh, it's just a scrum. We don't know which way the referee is going to give the penalty. Um, if it's a line out, you know, maybe saying, right, the Sam Whitelock against uh, Eben Etzebeth or Sam Whitelock against Russell Moster, you know, Sam Whitelock's one. Three World Cups and he's he, he's the lineout guru against uh, Moster who hasn't lost the lineout on his throw this year. Get, get someone like a Victor Matfield to talk about it. I mean, rugby's really losing that. You, what do you think about that whole concept coming from coming from this guy Wildcard? It was actually really interesting uh, in what he brought up. Yeah, I've seen him. I, I think he does some great stuff. I think there's loads of space that I think rugby content creators need. Need more people like him. There's loads of space for it. It's the kind of thing that football has loads of, so we need to copy that. Um, I think if you're going to have a prop in uh, Cocoms, you need to make sure it's the right person. Because I interviewed an international prop a few weeks ago, and I asked him, um, "What would you say to someone who's not a prop um, to watch out for in the scrums?" And he said, "I don't know." So you need to make sure that you're getting the right guy who can articulate it. I think Alex Corbisero. The former England and Lions prop, uh, he's great. I think he'd be a fantastic person to have in it. I don't know, maybe you need to experiment with some different camera angles as well to get in it. Um, but just generally, I think, you know, there's, rugby seems to be afraid of, uh, it, it speaks to a wider society thing without getting all deep about it, that you can't talk in detail in a kind of a nerdy way about things because you assume people will switch off. I think just embrace it. Just go full noise about it and people will keep up. People will learn and people will understand and people will enjoy it. I think you've got to put the faith in the audience, to be honest. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, sounds great, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, also congratulations to Sia Kolisi for 
his nominations for the Laurie Sports Awards. I, I don't know when those will be held, but yeah, uh, should be something that's uh, updated on our timelines sometime this week or probably in the coming weeks. Um, gentlemen, thank you for joining me and uh, thank you for, to the listeners for tuning in once again to the Rugby Scoop uh, podcast. We'll be on Spotify and also on Apple, um, Apple Podcast as well. Guys, thank you very much once again and uh, see you guys next week. International footy is back. Six Nations rugby is back. Uh, plenty to be talking about next week. Ireland versus England. Hostility already on the timeline. It's going to be epic. All right, Jets. Enjoy your Sunday. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, everybody.